0: Welcome to Amplified, an audio blog about the sounds of scholarship from our team here at the Amplify Podcast Network. I'm your host, Stacey Copeland. Spending much of my research career in the world of sound studies, it was no surprise to me when Back in 2017, I heard about the Soundworks initiative coming out of BC Studies, the British Columbia Quarterly, actively working to integrate sound into their location-based scholarly project. Why wasn't it surprising to me, you might ask? Well, as many cultural sound studies nerds, perhaps yourself included, know, Canada's province of British Columbia has a rich and complex history when it comes to sound studies, examining concepts, practices and technologies of sound and listening in different historical and cultural contexts in and outside of Canada. For example, the Sonic Research Studio at Simon Fraser University has a long history of sound-based practice, from sound walks and sound mapping to critical listening techniques and soundscape composition. Going back to the late 1960s, when the World Soundscape Project was established by composer Armory Schaefer, the BC Studies Journal, also founded around the same time, aimed to bring a focus to regional and land-based questions as well. With more contemporary BC-based research like Dr. Milena Drumeva's Livable Soundscapes, An Exploration of Sound and Urban Livability, and Dr. Dylan Robinson's Hungry Listening, Resonant Theory for Indigenous Sound Studies, BC scholars continue to showcase the important role of sound in British Columbia's cultural, political, and economic past and present. This month on Amplified, I'm joined by BC Studies current editor, Paige Rabeman, and the journal's Soundworks editor, Jenny Shine. Together, we reflect on how BC Studies became a space for alternative forms of scholarship and the ways in which the journal continues to push the boundaries of what it means to publish alongside questions of decoloniality, regional based work, and of course, sound based scholarship.
1: My name's Paige Rapeman, and I'm a historian at the University of British Columbia. My own work deals with uh, Indigenous peoples and resurgence in settler colonial British Columbia, and I've been doing that work for a long time, especially working on collaborative research methodologies within history, and also most recently working on uh, on a collective project with some collaborators on an open access digital book.
0: And I'm the editor of BC Studies. And also with us is Jenny Shine.
2: Yeah, I never know what to say with these intros. Um, I feel like I don't have a headline yet, but um, I'm a sound artist. I also do research and I'm currently back at school to become a counselor. So that is where I'm at these days. I'm also the Soundworks editor at the BC Studies Journal.
0: It's great to have you both here today to talk a little bit about BC Studies as a journal. You know, here at Amplify, we've been following your work for a while now and and keeping tabs on the evolution of your Soundworks and podcasting publication options, of course. And in addition to that, you know, Jenny's work I've been following for a while, both of us coming out of the SFU Sonic Studio tradition at Simon Fraser University's School of Communication. And of course, Paige actually getting to put a, a face to the name after reading some of your work as well. So lovely to have you both here today. To start us off, you know I'm familiar with BC Studies, the the British Columbian Quarterly, and of course you two mm-hmm. are very familiar with the journal as well. Um, but for our listeners, if you could give a sense of what the journal is all about and how you both got involved with it, Paige, do you want to start? with you want me to go
1: first? Yeah. So BC Studies is uh, an interdisciplinary quarterly published out of UBC. It's a long-standing journal that started in 1969, and it pub- we publish on all humanities and social science areas that relate to British Columbia. So it really focuses on all kinds of great and innovative work that are happening within the region. I became involved as the co-editor initially under the previous editor, who was Leslie Robertson. And I, uh, she wanted to bring on a co-editor. When she was done her term and wanted to step down, I became the editor.
2: And I became the Soundworks editor. I'm not sure actually when that was, so maybe we'll cut that out. (laughs) All these dates. COVID happened and then years disappeared. But uh, yeah, Alexandrine baudillard fonet started the Soundworks section. And when she stepped down, I took that over. And that was a really innovative and interesting part of the journal and part of Alexandrine's, um, her work and also her passion around soundscape so that part of the journal has sound works that are at the forefront so before the writing so the piece is more about the sound itself and then there's supplementary writing as opposed to the other way around
0: and on the topic of the sound works in particular you know we all here have a sense of what a sound work is uh, specifically in the context of BC studies as well, you know, and on the website, you outline a few of the general objectives of this particular form of submission, you know, asking questions about whether it specifically addresses and engages with topics within sound studies, of course, explorations uh, around understandings of British Columbia and whether the work is really engaging with sound in ways that simply text could not with the particular questions and research that it's grappling with. And what you're considering sound works here does vary from uh, other uses of the term by, say, Michelle Hilmes, radio scholar, who's thinking about uh, podcasts and radio pieces like radio documentary work also as sound work that intentional mixing of music and voice and sound effects here we're we're thinking more of sonic explorations that don't necessarily fit into say a podcast category taking on experimental interpretive sound art forms of research
2: yeah if you go to the bc studies website and the Soundworks section there are 9 pieces there and they're all fairly short you know from four minutes to maybe the longest one is 12 or so they're also different um some of them really are about field recordings that have minimal processing and others have more soundscape composition some of them have historical field recordings as well so that's been really interesting also to talk about uh, at what point is a soundworks yours if you're using audio recordings from an archive. So how do you make that your own piece? Looking at um, Jacek Smolaliki. I hope I pronounced his name correctly, his piece, Intertidal Room, a sound walk through timescapes of Vancouver's coastline.
0: What is usually a short patch of the beach now stretches quite far off. The edge between the water and sand blurs.
2: That is a really great, Soundworks to check out because it also has ties to sound walking, which is a major practice in soundscape studies, and it ties in with the Vancouver Soundscape and the World Soundscape Collective and the Vancouver Soundwalk Collective. And I think he goes back to also Kitsilano, which is Hildegard's piece. Of course, yeah, Kits
0: Beach Soundwalk by Hildegard Westerkamp.
2: Yeah. So, and it has some processing and narrative, and um, he uses voice as a way to bring us back into place. So it's really an interesting piece.
0: I'm somewhere between this elusive edge and the peak of the beach, marked by a human-made seawall between nature and culture or at both ends at the same time.
2: And Hildegard Westerkamp also has a piece where she examined different responses to a sound walk that uh, she held in Bamfield. Milena has a piece um, about the coffee office, so that's also, it's a really different soundscape. So there are different, yeah, there are different ways to present a sound works.
0: Yeah, you know, it was intriguing to me to find a journal outside of sound studies that that actually publishes sound forward scholarship, you know, work that bridges across the social sciences and humanities. Not only that, but also mm-hmm. encouraging and inviting scholars to think beyond the written text Um, in ways that we're not always encouraged to do so. In the journal, you can also find photo essays and digital media peer reviews, for example. Could you speak a bit to what sparked BC Studies to take on alternative forms of scholarship in this way? I would like to really give credit to Leslie Robertson and Alexandrine
1: for initiating that. So I wasn't part of the journal, and I think that under Leslie's editorship, she undertook a lot of innovations with the journal. And she, in conjunction with Alex, started the Soundworks aspect of it. So um, I know that one of Leslie's core kind of values around working with the journal, and one that I share, and part of the reason I came on to join her, is really around decolonizing knowledge. And part of that practice of decolonizing scholarly knowledge, especially, is in making it more accessible both to new audiences, but also making it accessible for different kinds of knowledge producers to be contributors to scholarly knowledge. So that's one of the things that the sound research and sound scholarship that we publish enables.
0: So there's the sound work stream, right? And then that was started by Alexandrine Boudreau-Fournier and Leslie Robertson. And now, more recently, you've added another another sound based submission possibility for scholars, and that's the podcast stream that's begun to take shape under your guidance page
1: when I came on, that was an idea that I had that it would make a logical extension since we had all of this jump start through Leslie on how we might peer review scholarship that wasn't primarily based in print with the Soundworks and that had been quite successful. And so I thought that it would be really great to include peer-reviewed podcasts as something that would also be a way to help scholars who want to disseminate their knowledge in that form also have a peer-reviewed stamp on it to help them with their own really with their own career profiles and their own CVs so that they're getting validation at their institutions, which is a struggle.
0: Peer review is definitely something I'd like to touch on a bit more here. I mean, as you know, the question of how to peer review sound-based scholarship, particularly podcasts uh, for us, is a question we are actively working on here at Amplify. And, you know, we often find lots of excitement, intrigue about the idea of peer reviewed scholarly Mm -hmm. podcasts and sound work. But in reality, we run into a lot of barriers around. Uh, apprehensions about the time investment involved for both sides uh, in the project for both scholarly producers who are worried about the potential amount of revisions they might have to make to their work and for peer reviewers who aren't sure how much labor is actually involved in listening to and providing feedback on scholarly podcasts. How have you navigated through what peer review looks like for sound-based submissions through the journal?
2: Yeah, it's really interesting because it's, you know, there needs to be some understanding of what a sound works is and the value of the sound works and then also the content of that sound work. So generally, it's nice to have someone in the sound studies field potentially or who um, understands that field and then also someone who can speak to the content, specific content. Um, And there's a little bit of education, I think, that happens um, just in terms of what a soundworks is. But generally, we're really lucky with our soundworks peer reviewers, I think, especially because a lot of folks are in the arts. And so there's a just a broader, general, more flexibility and understanding in different types of knowledge production and dissemination.
0: So how does that soundwork peer review experience um, then translate into the development of peer review for the more recent podcast submission option, particularly given that, as you say, works or soundscape composition submissions mm. tend to be more arts-based and are on the more creative, interpretive side of things in the scholarly publication world, whereas, whereas podcasts tend to have some of that um, arts-based creativity involved, but they also are much more voice and narrative-driven works, perhaps Somewhere more in between the traditional written article and soundwork formats, right? How have those frictions coalesced then in your podcast peer review process?
1: So I would say that actually the barriers that you mentioned, Stacey, are the ones that we are also still encountering. And it's been in a way more challenging with the podcasts maybe than with the soundworks. For those people who are producing sound scholarship, it's a form that is already maybe more familiar. Whereas we've had a lot of interest from scholars who haven't made any audio scholarship before, who might want to present what would have been a written article, maybe they could make a podcast. So we haven't actually seen one of our podcasts go all the way through to the completion of our peer review process yet. And it that's taking longer than we thought it would. And part of it is The issue that Jenny raised about people's sense of what a podcast is, part of it is the ones that have gone back to the podcaster for revision have stayed for quite a long time with the podcaster because that's time consuming and it's it's a different kind of editing and it's more challenging than, you know, getting the word processor out and changing some words and trying to make it sound seamless if you're trying to go back and edit. One of the ways we've tried to approach that Has been so normally we would have, we always have at least two peer reviewers. And with the podcast, anyway, we've tried to split the difference a little bit and make sure one of the peer reviewers is somebody who works with sound and who can talk about it as a piece of audio scholarship on its own terms. And then there still has to be a topic expert who may or may not know anything or even be supportive. Of podcasting as a genre, who we try and bring on board and say, like, we're doing this experimental thing, but you're an expert on the topic. Can you evaluate the scholarly side of it? I would say it's still a work in progress, and we're really encouraging, you know, more scholars to continue submitting their work to us. We've also been having, like, sort of ongoing conversations with people who are interested in submitting, whose podcasts are already out there in the world in some format. So, technically our commitment, and we're shirk-funded, so we sort of have to meet those terms, is to publish unpublished work. And so we're also trying to navigate and trying to be creative with sort of pushing up against conventional notions of what already published would mean. Many high-quality podcasts, including from scholars, are already out there by the time people want to submit them to us. So that's something else that we're working
0: through. Oh, geez. Yeah. That brings up a whole other Mm -hmm. broader debate, really, about what under grant funding or institutional funding is considered a scholarly publication or publication at all um, versus public knowledge mobilization or unaffiliated work that a researcher is just happening to do, but outside of their academic context, Mm -hmm. especially with podcasting, since so much of it is self-published. So does that count as already published in relation to submitting it to an academic journal like BC Studies?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, the other part of our peer review also, which is is tied to our SHRC grant and what we've promised to SHRC is that we, we're committed to a blind peer review process, which also kind of limits the ways we can innovate the peer review process.
0: And for any international researchers listening, SHRC is the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, which is one of our main funding bodies here in the country.
1: Typically, all of our written work is double blind, uh, it can be single blind in certain circumstances and in lots of these podcasting instances it it's too onerous to ask somebody to prepare something that 100% preserves the anonymity of of the podcaster so we're working a little bit more within the box because of the structure of our funding
0: that is such a huge touchpoint really surrounding the politics of peer review you know like the level of anonymity and and what it actually is contributing especially with podcasts, where if the scholar is also the host or the lead narrative voice in the series or in the episode, it becomes difficult to keep any sort of anonymity, especially in smaller circles of research, like BC Studies, which is quite regional. So the question becomes, you know, should we be having that anonymity among the peer reviewers if they will likely know the voice of the scholar? How do we level the power dynamics or the playing field there? You've mentioned the Secret Feminist Agenda peer review project uh, in the past that amplifies Hannah McGregor and Siobhan McMenemy produced a few years back as one example exploring the open peer review model. But it's equally interesting to me to pause here and, and hear more about how you navigate the further questions and limitations, as well as perhaps opportunities around anonymous peer review based on what your funding is contingent on and and what the model is for other forms of scholarship across the journal.
1: I think I was just going to add, like, so I think that's such a good point because that's one of my responses to when people get concerned, like, Oh, this can maybe only be a single blind publication. This comes up sometimes with print articles too, that are deeply community engaged. And the author will say to me, like, I can't really present what my research is if I don't identify myself in this. And, I actually think the idea that double blind is always truly double blind isn't accurate because most scholarly fields are small enough that people, even with written work, can guess. They have a, If people are going to conferences and they're tuned into their field, which is what would make them a good peer reviewer for conventional scholarship too, they often have a pretty good guess of who it is. And the key thing is not to have a conflict. I also think there's value in these multiple forms of peer review and anonymous and open. But even the purely anonymous, I think we should admit that people, it's all of these are small scholarly
0: fields. These key questions around peer review and support for alternative forms of scholarship are definitely key questions we've been interested in here at Amplify around what's happening with BC studies as a journal. But I know there's also a lot of other projects happening at the journal what else should we be keeping our eyes and ears open for? So one of the things that's exciting
1: that's coming up is a call for papers for a special issue that focuses on relational technologies. So it will be a multimedia issue, guest edited by Daisy Rosenbloom and Dave Gertner, which they have a grant that brings together a whole range of scholars working in various multimedia forms to focus on community storytelling. So community led collaborative storytelling practices through multimedia. So it'll be uh, an opportunity for us to publish a range of other forms of digital scholarship, many of which we haven't tried to peer review before, but uh, we're absolutely game and excited to do so. I think one of the nice things that comes from this is having the soundworks lay the groundwork for thinking through what peer review for something like this could look like, it seems to me it's not that difficult to begin imagining how we could extend it to other forms of digital scholarship and non-print scholarship. So stay tuned, that's going to be coming.
0: A big thank you to Paige Rapeman and Jenny Shine for joining us here on Amplified this month. You'll find additional info on BC Studies and other references made throughout our conversation in the show notes. If you have comments or additional thoughts on the ideas shared here today or other Amplified topics, please do reach out. We're always interested in hearing from other folks engaging with scholarly podcasting and other alternative modes of academic publishing. Thanks for listening to Amplified, a podcast, an audio blog about the sounds of scholarship coming to you each month from our team here at the Amplify Podcast Network.